Love this podcast? Support this show through the ACAST supporter feature. It's up to you how much you give, and there's no regular commitment. Just click the link in the show description to support now. Welcome to It's Not a Crisis. I am your host, Doran Wallach. I'm an entrepreneur, a mother of two, a wife, and a 40-something trying to figure out what is happening in this decade. Why is no one talking about it? I created this podcast to help women in their late 30s and 40s to figure out what is going on in our mind, body, soul, and life. We may laugh, we may cry, we may get frustrated, but most importantly, my goal is to make this next chapter of life positive. I'm also full of my own questions and I'm here to go on this journey with you. So let's do it together. Hey everyone. So today I am interviewing the one and only Annie Potts. And this is my first celebrity interview ever. So I'm really, really excited about it. I met Annie in a crazy way and you will hear about that in the podcast, but she is just the most wonderful, spiritual ball of light. And uh, I am so honored that she accepted my invitation to come on to the podcast and be the number two episode in the Wise Women Over 50 series. So I know that you're going to learn a lot from this. You're going to laugh from this, and uh, you're just going to fall in love with her the way that I did when I first met her. I'm sure you've seen her in it, but Annie returned to series television in the highly anticipated prequel, Young Sheldon, from creators Chuck Lorre and Steve Malaro, and it is so good. On the CBS hit comedy, her character Mima, which she's amazing at, ranks among the many iconic female roles Potts has created, including the wonderful Mary Jo Shively from Designing Women. How's my Southern accent? Not very good. Her work in Love and More garnered her an Emmy nomination And with Any Day Now, she scored two Screen Actors Guild Award nominations. In addition, she has played recurring roles in Chicago Med, Law & Order, SUV, The Fosters, as well as guest starring on Scandal, Grey's Anatomy, which my 13-year-old's obsessed with right now, Major Crimes, and Two and a Half Men. Such a good show. Potts also starred in the Hallmark movies The Music Teacher and The Freshman Father, along with Marry Me for Lifetime. Potts reprised her role as the memorable Bo Peep in the highly successful fourth installment of Toy Story, which won an Oscar for Best Animated Feature. She originated the character in the first Toy Story and appeared again in Toy Story 2 which I think I cried in that one. I can't remember which one, but I I cried. It was a fire scene. It was very devastating to me. Her numerous other feature film credits include the Ghostbusters franchise, Texasville, The Last Picture Show, Jumpin' Jack Flash, Who's Harry Crumb, King of the Gypsies, and Corvette Summer, for which she received a Golden Globe Award nomination. Recent credits include Happy Anniversary for Netflix, along with Izzy Gets the Fuck Across Town, and Humor Me, both which debuted at the Los Angeles Film Festival. Potts made her Broadway debut in Yasmina Reza's Tony Award-winning black comedy, God of Carnage, and also appeared in the long-running Pippin. She appeared in off-Broadway productions of The Vagina Monologues, Diva, Love Letters, Charlie's Aunt, The Merchant of Venice, A Little Night Music, Cymbeline, and The Effect of Gamma Rays on Man in the Moon Marigolds. 
A little bit of a tongue twister, but I got it. I got it. On the West Coast, she received rave reviews for her performance of a distraught wife dealing with her husband's suicide in aftermath. The play received the LA Times Critics' Choice Ovation recommendation. Born in Nashville and raised in Kentucky, Potts was the youngest of three girls. Interested in stage and film at an early age, she received her BFA in theater from Stevens College in Missouri, where she's currently a visiting professor of drama and a dedicated board member. Potts is also an ambassador for White Pony Express, an organization that feeds and clothes those in need in the Bay Area. Additionally, she wrote children's books about a young boy named Kemmerly Brooks, titled Kemmerly of Anguilla, with all proceeds going to the Arisia Children's Foundation, an important cause in Anguilla. Recently, Potts, along with her husband, director-producer Jim Heyman, joined another industry couple to form All Are One, an organization created to alleviate the suffering of so many folks during the coronavirus pandemic. Their focus is to gather donations to gift anonymously to people in need. The initiative kicked off in Northern California, and it's now expanding across the country. So needless to say, this woman is amazing. Annie, welcome to the show. I'm so happy to have you here. Oh, thank you. Thank you for having me. I want to start by telling how we met because it's a very funny story. Yeah. When we first met, we were on a day trip. Uh, remember to those beautiful islands. So, I, so wait, let me let me preface this with my 40th birthday. My husband sent myself and three best friends on the most amazing trip to Peru. It was the best thing I've ever done. And um, we were taking a boat to this little amazing island. I don't even know. What was it called? Were they like wreaths? It was made out of... No, actually, we had met on the train oh, to Machu Picchu was... first. Oh, that was first. You're right. You're right. You're right. Oh, right. You I think by... you and your friends had been drinking. Yeah, <laughs> that was our really drunk first night. Uh, not for... It was the first... We, I had really bad <laughs> altitude sickness, so I didn't really drink on this trip. And um, after we did Wino Picchu, I was like, let's drink. Let's get... And yeah, so we drank a lot yes, that night. and we met uh, on that fabulous train like the orient express except it's the peruvian express it was so fantastic and you girls sure looked like you were having fun well that's how it started because you walked by and you said that something along those lines and i said something like oh i like your look and then you went you know you asked where were you from and we were talking and um this sounds terrible like i knew you were somebody but i couldn't it was your voice that that was you know just i kept saying god her voice and my friends are going god her voice is so familiar but we're i'm not like one of those people i've never been who if i see a celebrity i'll bother them. I just, I'm just not like that. So I was like, just let it be. So then, then we went on the trip to the Island together because we were staying at the same hotel in Titilaka, right? Titicaca. Titicaca. Oh yeah. Titicaca. <laughs> the silliest name ever. Titicaca. I have a sweatshirt that says Titicaca. How many people can actually say, Hey, we got to know each other in Titicaca. So true. Right. So we rode in a boat together over there and at some, we're walking around. I can't even, I'm going to almost have to post pictures on social media because I can't even explain what we were walking around on. Yes. It, they're, they're little islands that have been handmade by the reeds that grow in Lake Titicaca. It's like, it's like walking on top of a water mattress and they live there. Do you think they put those outfits on for us or do you think they always wear those beautiful, colorful 
close. I I think that's it. They had an 18-month-old son who I just kept looking at and going, oh my God, the kid's going to go off the island. Like he was just running around. Yes, it was. But they've, they've adapted that totally, you know. But it was an interesting place to meet. It was. So I so Katie, my friend Katie, who's very um she'll she'll talk to anybody and and she's she's a little outspoken, but she's like, I need to I, I have to, I just have to figure out I, this, it's driving me crazy. So she walks up to you and said, What 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 are you in? What do you do? Why why is your voice so familiar? And you you said, Well, do you have children? And we said, Yes. And you said, Well, you must know me as um Bo Peep from Toy Story. And we're like, no. Because I feel like it's been a long time since we've watched Toy Story, although I love Toy Story. Um, and then you mentioned, and then you said, how old are you? And you mentioned designing women. And we were like, oh, my God, of course. Um, and then, of course, as our minds kept, you know, after we met you, we were like pretty in pink and Ghostbusters. And, and then we saw you at the hotel. And then <laughs> it was our checkout day. And uh, we all... We're on our way to the airport. As we pulled into the airport, we were on a road full of dirt mounds and hundreds and hundreds of protesters that were forming a human barricade and burning stuff. And the hotel, it's us. (laughs) The hotel said, all right, well, this is where we're going to leave you. And we're like, what? (laughs) You're leaving us here in the middle of this? And, and And the airport was not close. We had a walk and we had our luggage. My friend Katie was in wedges. It was very funny. (laughs) (laughs) And we we were on a very first class trip. Actually, my husband had been, he wanted to go there for his 50th birthday. And then I think it was postponed to 60 and you were having your 40th. So it was, you know, we were were taking advantage of, of the celebration it was first class, and they just dumped us off <laughs> literally so by a dumpster fire <laughs> with tires and said, Get your luggage and get out. It's so, I have pictures. I'm gonna, I, like, I have pictures of us pulling in, um, like, pictures out of the window of the car, of the van, like, just thinking, Are you serious? This is where we're getting out. But then you girls proved yourself to be, wow, just so sensationally organized and competent, you kind of got us out of that mess because we were sitting on the floor in the airport, which then closed. Yeah. And uh, we had to get out. Everybody had to had planes to catch. Yeah, they canceled all the flights. I don't know which one of you managed to get through, but you managed to get us a van (laughs) and... We had to take a, what, seven, eight-hour drive yeah. to lean us through. What I re- Once we got out of the burning tires again, <laughs> then it was like smoking volcanoes. There was actually this a human barricade of men and women. They were I th- they're protesting education or something, but I, I don't— Teachers were on strike. Right, teachers. Uh, but But, wow, they really take it to the next level there. And I don't— speak Spanish well. I did not do well in Spanish. And I kept trying to say, I was like scared and I was trying to get through and I was trying to explain that I needed to get home to my kids. And I kept saying, mi madre, mi madre. And Liz is going, you're saying the wrong thing. They don't know what you're saying. Um, anyway, so we get on this van We before making sure we had beer with us. 
I think Harry, your son, got us some beer. Yes, I think he fit. Yes, a 20-something can always find a beer. Right. But then we're on this van and I'm A, we have no service on our phones. And B, we're all like, where the hell are we going? We don't even know where we're going. We're going somewhere in the middle of the country. And you guys were getting on a flight from there, but we had to find a hotel and stay there for the night. And I remember calling my husband and I was like, I'm going to drop a pin so you can see where I am because I don't know where I am. Well, roads were closed because the teachers knew that the only way to shut down the country was to mess up tourist plans because the, the country's so dependent on it. Right. That was a bonding trip for, that was a, that was a bonding way to start a friendship. <laughs> that, <laughs> it was. Well, that's one of the reasons why travel is so great because, you know, things like that happen. And uh, it's beside, well, we, Machu Picchu was pretty amazing. And we did a little stint on the Amazon too. But what I remember is trying to get out of the country with you guys. Yeah, that was that was the biggest memory, and and oh, god, I just have so many funny pictures. I have a picture of you actually. I think I've sent it to you, just kind of walking with your luggage, <laughs> or I think I think Jim had your luggage, and and you you have a big smile on your face, and I have a video where I'm walking by and they're looking at me, and I'm like, hi, how are you? Well, <laughs> when you take a trip like that, I mean. Aren't you really looking for an adventure? Yes. Oh, 100%. Yeah. That's why that was all I wanted for my birthday. I was like, I don't want to party. I want to, I love to travel. <laughs> I just want to be with my closest people and I want to see things I don't see. So I certainly got that on that day. In spades, man. In spades. <laughs> what I wanted to start talking to you about, because obviously my demographic, late 30s and 40s, many of you remember Annie from Pretty in Pink. And I was, I was pretty young. I was about nine when Pretty in Pink came out, but I still saw it. I didn't, and I've seen it a hundred times since then. I don't know if I got it as much, but I distinctly remember, and I'm and I'm not saying this because you're on here. I distinctly remember that your character Iona stuck out to me the most as as you know as a little kid when you're looking at it wasn't like oh I want to be like Molly Ringwald. I was like I want to be like her first of all. And I've talked to you about my mother before. There were there, there was definitely. Um, a part of you that remind your character that reminded me of my mom. Um, but also I just loved that you were your own person and in, in this part, but you had the biggest heart and you were really warm and loving. And I was watching it. So the other night I was like, okay, I'm going to watch it again. Cause I, I haven't seen it in a while before I speak to Annie and I fell asleep. So I had to then watch it again. I don't know if you've ever heard this quote, Howard Deutsch. He, he was the director of the movie I, I read this quote that said, I saw the character of Iona as having a shoulder big enough for the world to cry on. I chose Annie because I got the sense that she was exactly that way. You really That's are. So I sweet. Mean, I'd never heard that before. Yeah. Uh, isn't that lovely? That's just the kind of uh, review that an actor loves. Well, and you know what, though? That's, I mean, it's, it's, it, first of all, I can speak from experience that, that it's so true. You're so genuine and warm and have such a wonderful spirit, but you're also, I'm going to get in a, in a little bit. I'm going to get into how you actually helped me and really didn't need to do that. But can we just go backtrack a little bit? Tell the listeners working on Pretty in Pink, is there any, I don't know, juice or information or something that something about the movie or the cast or whatever that 
you remember fondly or? Well, I think that it was, I think I was 32 when I did that. So I was pretty young, but I was, I was the oldest actor in it, aside from that, that wasn't a parent, you know? And I, I was thinking I hadn't really been in that situation where I was the older I'm I'm the youngest of three girls, so I always think here I'm a hundred now, and I still think of myself as the baby. So anyway, in that situation, I was the oldest, so it was interesting to be put in that role as the one who people go to instead of the one who is seeking help from others. And uh, that was that was interesting for me. And the kids were so young. I mean, Molly was, I think, 18. John Cryer uh, was 19. James Spader was young and so gorgeous. Wow. So gorgeous. Ty, oh. We were talking about his hair the other night when we were watching it. Ty's like, look at that hair. That was good hair. And now he has no hair. Uh, yeah, I know. He's a wonderful actor. Uh, you know, he was so complicated in that. Anyway, it was it it was fun to do that, and uh, that film has really had uh, legs, as they say. I don't think we, or maybe just because I'm not aware of it, this generation now doesn't have somebody like John Hughes who's writing for them, where it's like, oh, we really get you, we really get your struggles, and so I was so pleased to be. Part of that because now let's see, that's 30 years. Is that three generations? Yeah, it's like three generations of people who've come into uh, knowing that film. And uh, it's st- it still holds up. But my daughter's 13, and she and all of her friends have watched it. And I, hopefully she'll tell her daughter one day. But it's just one of those movies that you're like, I remember when I was trying to get her, she's like, I don't like old movies. I'm like, it's not, like, I don't think it was an old movie. Like when my mother wanted me to watch movies from the 20s and 30s, I was like, I, I don't want to watch that. And I guess that we're there now. <laughs> yeah, you are. I bet you watch those movies from the 20s and 30s now, don't you? Oh, yeah. Now, now I enjoy them then, not so much. But she actually, she she loved Pretty in Pink. And I think that you're right. There aren't movies today that speak to this generation. And again, it's such a complicated generation too. So bless their hearts with this COVID thing. Oh my God. Of course it'll make them and it will define their generation. Like every big crisis, world wars and other pandemics and things define that generation. And I, I think, you know, that will give them a, a, you know, right now it's, agony, but it will give them a cohesion later. It's like, wow, yeah, you came up in that. And it'll be such a badge of honor, I think. I think we have to keep our minds on the big, big picture. It sure is tough now, though. I don't envy them. No, I was a sociology major, and I'm so fascinated for the future and um, how they were formed because of this and social media and everything else. It'll be, it'll be interesting, but I'll tell you, my kids have become a lot more independent since the pandemic because I've just been like not doing anything anymore. (laughs) 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 Mommy's done. The job's over. Now it's your turn. Have fun. Make your own dinner. (laughs) Bye-bye. Yeah. They, they can do that. They're old enough to do that. They are old enough to do that. Speaking of kids, you have a wonderful husband who we met and three wonderful sons who, I, if I if I researched this correctly, are 39, 28, and 24. 
Yes. Okay. Um, and we met Harry when we were on our trip. He was such a sweet kid. Kid. Like I didn't say, now I sound old. I know. Such a I sweet know. He's kid. About to, he's about to turn 25. Right. And you always, you know, you glow. I remember when I was with you, you just glow when you talk about your boys. And um, Oh, I'm nuts about my boys. Oh, that's so lovely. They're, they're amazing. And of course, you know, I think every working mother worries about that. When my oldest son, I felt was old enough to be approached. I went, you know, I, wow, I sure was working a lot when you were little, drug you around and lived in hotels on locations and stuff. And, you know, I was always working. And I thought maybe that I had failed some as a parent. And I said, you know, did I, did you feel like I wasn't there? If so, I'm sorry. And he was like, no, no, mom, you, you, it was okay. That's so interesting. And thank you. That's such a good piece of wisdom for us because I, I and I had spoken about this on another episode. We've had a few episodes on um, starting a business or working at our age or going back into the workforce after having children. And women moms have so much guilt over working, even if you don't necessarily have to work financially, but you want to work. There's this guilt about doing that. And, and there shouldn't be. Well, look what's happened now during COVID. Yeah. 80% of, or something like that, of women who have had to give up their work and men aren't giving up their work. The women are giving up their work because the children are home and somebody has to be there with them to mind their lessons and things. So I think this is going to be an interesting problem. I mean, all over again, women are going to have to try to get back into the workforce when we get this problem resolved. But I thought, well, we're always the ones that take the hit, aren't we? I mean, and think of the essential workers that maybe we didn't appreciate so much before. Those who came to nanny or clean our houses and stuff. It's a whole, uh, it's a whole other thing, isn't it? Yeah. Yeah. I, I, I've talked about this a lot. It's sad because I think even as moms before COVID, we have this disadvantage where um, if you really want a big career, you're not going to see your kids as much. And there's always this back and forth in so many women's heads. And am I being a good mom? Am I a bad mom because I'm doing this or that? And now it's almost as if we have no choice. A lot of women don't right now and certainly didn't sign up to be teachers um, <laughs> at home all day with their kids. So yeah, it's 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 been tough. I do think though, women are so amazing, uh, especially um my generation of women who were kind of neglected a little bit as kids and sort of left to be more independent, I feel like we're going to come out of this stronger with amazing business ideas and amazing ways of things that we're going to start doing in our 50s. I totally agree. Well, crisis always incubates innovation. Always. For those of us who have to stay at home, I think you're, you know, we'll walk out of this with a lot of good ideas. I mean, my my youngest son was in graduate school and he's a poet. And uh, at first he was so he was so disappointed. And I thought, no, this is a gift horse, man. Just I, I mean, we're the whole world is in turmoil that for a writer is gold. You know what I mean? It's like, well, 
this is this is an opportunity to i mean if if writers don't talk about the the state of the world and and uh, internal dimensions of that and stuff it's like wow <laughs> you got a lot of great material here i mean i so much material. You did the most wonderful thing, and I hope you don't mind me bringing it up, but right around the time I met Annie, I, I, my son was really struggling in school. Um, he was diagnosed with ADHD, seven at the time, I think. Um, had a horrible, horrible school experience. And I don't remember if we, we probably talked about it at some point in our hours together, um, but you were so kind and, and you were coming to New York and you said, um, let's, let's have tea or coffee or whatever and, and sit and talk. And you spent, uh, it could have been well over an hour with me just talking as somebody who has, ex- you know, has boys, has experienced similar things. And I, I, I know that I've expressed to you how much that meant to me, but for you to go out of your way to do that for me, for someone you didn't know that well, that says so much about who you are as a person. And it, and it, and it can't tell you that your words of wisdom in that conversation, first of all, gave me confidence that my son was going to be okay, which I always, I kind of know, uh, you know, and if I can say this as his mom, I was sort of not worried about him. It was more about how he was being treated by the school. And then I had pulled him out and was applying to school. So I think we were talking about the types of schools. And um, you were just, you know, so that, that, that's a whole other episode for me to talk about because I have such I, I have such a bad experience, but it has turned into now such a beautiful experience in the new school that he's in and he's thriving. He just took his IC exams for middle school and, and scored like 90 across the board on everything. And so, and, but more importantly, he's, he's a little artist and, and such a good kid. So I think I was probably that kid too. I think I was too, (laughs) by the way. (laughs) And, but it was a different time before they started diagnosing that. And, you know, for those of us who are artistic, creative and stuff, I, we do the, we just weren't easily pigeonholed. And, uh, and, you know, I have an ADHD son myself and, uh, you know, he was so gifted. He started reading at three. And uh, by the time he was 18 months old, he was on <laughs> the original Apple computer, you know, the one that was like a funny little yeah, tower like with Chewy. a six inch screen. Right. Yeah. We got a program for him. He was sorting flora and fauna of, you know, just, I mean, we had to do the mouse for him. He just pointed because he was so tiny. But I thought, oh man, this kid, what this kid's going to be awesome. And he was doing really well in Montessori. And uh, then I was like, this kid is so bright. I need to put him in a very accelerated program, you know, to match his gifts. So I put him in a very traditional school and he immediately hit the wall and he couldn't sit down. He couldn't, you know, he was failing where he'd been like, you know, the student at this other school. So I was like, what the heck? And then of course, you know, we, we got his, uh, diagnosis as, as ADHD we, because in Montessori, they kind of let them roam from one activity to the other. We didn't know that he actually couldn't sit down. It was not easy. I ended up quitting. My, uh, I had my Actually, my most 
favorite job ever. I was doing a show for Lifetime called Any Day Now about the friendship between two women, one black, one white. And we would drop back and and examine the 60s when they were little girls trying to carve out a friendship in a very hot environment of racism and violence then. But he he was drowning. He was just drowning. And so I was like, my contract was up and I said, you know, I got, I got to go. I got to take care of my kid. My kid's circling the drain. And I, so it was like a, oh man, it was like a four year odyssey to find the right school because this was oh, 20 years ago now. And the education system is much more attuned to how to teach different learners. But uh, of course, having gone through that, I was, very uh, sympathetic. And of course, I, I too, like you, I always harbored this deep faith that my boy was fabulous and going to be just fine. It was just getting him educated and getting him to that point. And that all happened. And he's absolutely fabulous, as I always knew. So when I, I, I meet other people who are struggling with that, of course, uh, I, uh, I always love to be a cheerleader for that and for you to hold on to what you know about your kid. You just got to play to their strengths not the, and don't focus on their weaknesses at all. I mean, your son's an amazing artist. Amazing. Yeah, you know what? I think that, um, I think that the, oh, the, while that time was so hard because uh, of the way he was treated by his existing school, you know, the reason I pulled him out of this first school is he came home to me in like second grade and said, Mommy, I don't want to be a person anymore. And this is a very happy kid, typically. And I, I, like everything in my body went to to Jello. I just I was I, I so that at that moment I was like, "You're getting I'm getting him out of the school." I, I I forced my way into there the next day and was like, "Listen, this is what my kid is saying. This is not okay." Anyway, I don't when, want to be a person anymore. He I said. don't want to be a person anymore. It was horrible. Oh my god. And. Uh, he said, nobody likes, the teachers don't like me. The kids don't like me. The principal doesn't like me. Nobody likes me. I don't want to be a person anymore. And otherwise a very happy kid. So, so, you know, you know, as a mom, you have that gut instinct, get him out of here and let's get him somewhere else. So he ended up going, he's now in third year and now applying to middle school, but I'm starting to think about this again with him. And, and I want to make sure that he's celebrated for who he is because he's super, super bright, um, like your son, but also really artistic. And I think that those two things, come hand in hand also with ADHD. I think it's a very common mix, which I always joke with my husband's very smart, went to Princeton, blah, blah, blah. My schools weren't as impressive. However, I joke, I'm like, you know, I think Rex's gifts come from me. (laughs) (laughs) I don't think I was given the opportunity because I was an undiagnosed ADD, but I'm pretty smart. And I can remember some of the things that he articulates in his head. I can remember thinking those things too as a younger child and maybe not saying them. So anyway, thank you for that. And 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 it was just, I, I'm so grateful. That's my privilege. And when I look back on it all, and uh, I can't tell you how many other people, because it's a sign of the times, this whole ADD thing, I, so many people I run into have had that same experience. And of course, 
you know, once you've been through something yourself, then it behooves you to lend a hand. And uh, I'm so grateful I learned those lessons so I could be helpful. Yeah, and I will I will pay it forward at some point to somebody else also. Pay it forward. I will. will. And so when we met three years ago, you had just, I think you just got the job as Mima on Young Sheldon hit show. And I had never watched Big Bang Theory. So I know you're explaining it to me. But as you're telling me, I'm like, oh, my God, like this sounds a little bit like my son. Although I I will tell you that um, my son is not not that he's very smart. He's not that smart. And about two years ago, maybe I tried to get him to watch it with me. And I think he was a little young, but we just started watching it. We just literally last night finished season one. And It is such a great show. You are so fabulous in it, but it's also such a wonderful family show to watch. We just finished watching The Goldbergs as a family. We started that in the pandemic. That was a great show to watch together. And and now now we're watching Young Sheldon. But 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 Rex likes to say it's our it's our time. We do this together, you know, just the two of us. What's it like working on that show? I, I would imagine it just seems like such a wonderful cast of people. It it is a wonderful cast of people. Um, two of one, they're just wonderful. It's interesting. I I really haven't worked with kids very much until this, and uh, I mean little kids. They were eight when we started, and they're twelve, almost thirteen now. So, but usually on a film set you know, it can be a little tempers flare and there's profanity and stuff, but we don't have that because of course we have the children to, to consider. So the atmosphere is kept very sweet for them. And, uh, it's been an eye opener really. It's like, well, why don't we keep all work like this? Imagine if our children were around listening to the way that grownups interact then it would be tempered with remembering that we are adults and have to be a good example to them. But they're extraordinary children anyway. I feel like your character as Mima is almost like your character as Iona. You got a little sass, a little edge to you, a little, you know, not such a rule follower. You're, you know, you have your own thing going, but yet you're warm and you give wonderful advice and it's funny. There's a little similarity there. That's kind of the roles I've been playing. I mean, I don't, I don't think much about my career, but uh, I think that that's sort of been operative in most of the, of the work that I've done. Sassy uh, off the beaten path kind of people. It's kind of you, <laughs> right? In a good way. <laughs> um, yeah, it kind, of, it kind of is that. <laughs> Do you know, by the way, last night we watched a, um, there was like a, a behind the scenes right at the end of the season. I didn't mm-hmm. realize that Zoe Perry was Laurie Metcalf's daughter. Yes. And, and, and the funniest thing is the entire time I've been watching the show, I'm like, God, her facial expressions are so familiar. Like she just really <laughs> reminds me of somebody. And then we learned that last night. It was very funny. She plays her the mother in Big Bang Theory. We have all three of us been together before. And in that case, then Zoe has her real mother. And I actually play the both of their mothers. It's such a crazy circle of mothering that it's silly. It's like, wow, I am both your mothers. She's a great girl. 
Both of them. She's a good actress too. She's, I love her facial expressions. Yeah. <laughs> you really like, as fabulous. a mom, you feel them. You feel her facial expressions. Always worried about the special child. You know what? I, there's a, definitely a relation. My daughter always jokes and she's like, Rex is your favorite child. And I'm like, he is not. I do not have favorite children. I, I really and truly don't. I think my kids are both so amazing in different ways. But it's funny when you see her in the show sort of defending him and in the way that sometimes I've had to um, with with my son's difficulties. So I, I can definitely relate to that. And I think he, he relates to the show. As amazing as your career has been, I what I want to talk to you about today is your wisdom. So I, I know that, you know, you've been through a lot in your life. I think that the point of this Wise Women Over 50 series is that my my listeners need to hear they need to hear about the future, but they need to hear about what others have looked back on and, and wish they'd changed or done differently and 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 what's to look forward to. So uh, what what was currently happening in your life around your late 30s and 40s? My husband and I didn't meet until we were 36, so or almost 37. So we were busy starting a new relationship and then a family. My early I had my last baby when I was 43. Oh my god. That's my age. Yeah, can you imagine? <laughs> no. <laughs> 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 I remember when I got pregnant with my last one and called my sister and she was I said I'm I'm pregnant again and she her, her response was what were you thinking? <laughs> anyway, I was thinking I wanted another one. So we were busy doing that. And I I was also, I had a very busy career at that time and was working. At one point, it required five nannies just to keep things going. And one was a college girl who was living in the apartment over our garage. And her job was to, because my husband's a director, and we often go to work at four in the morning and don't come home till two in the morning. So it was her job to, if one of us wasn't in our bed, for her to just be in the bed. So if one of the little ones woke up, somebody would be in mommy and daddy's bed. So <laughs> it was so insane. I look back on that time and I, I just wonder how we survived it. But how did you have the energy? I don't have energy now. I can't even imagine doing that with all of that. At Christmas every year, we, we play our, our home movies over and, you know, we just put them on, on the TV in the family room. And so everybody kind of drifts in and out and sits down and watches Christmases and birthday parties and you know, life going on. And my youngest son came to me last year. He'd been watching the movies from that period. And he went, wow, mom. He said, in all the movies, when we were little, you look so tired. (laughs) (laughs) I thought he was going to say, you look so beautiful. (laughs) was like, really? I just look tired? That's why. Um, and, uh, so I ducked in and looked at it and I, I have to confess, I looked pretty tired. I caught up, I caught up on my wrist. Yeah. Well, let me ask you something. So you had, if you had your last at 43, when a lot of women are starting perimenopause, did you go through that or was it like, was your body just so confused 
I mean, that, <laughs> I mean, my body was pretty confused. Yeah, I mean, um, so I, I talk to... a lot about how, you know, I've been suffering a lot with this and other women have, and but we are, you know, our kids are older. So we, you know, but I, what was that like? Well, I think I, I made jokes while I was pregnant that I was, you know, going to, you you know, have the baby and immediately go into menopause. And I have to say that's pretty much what happened. I I started having hot flashes when I was still nursing him. Oh my god. And I only figured that out because my driver I had a dri- I I was doing a show for ABC at the time based on Dangerous Minds the film. So she used to come pick me up every morning and she was a little bit older than me and I was like, "Man, I you know, I got up, I nursed a baby and I'm just, I'm just like sweating. And, you know, I, it's like, I have a fever. So she said, honey, you're, you're. <laughs> well, it's like, no, I'm, I'm nursing the baby. So that kind of, that happened. <laughs> and how old were you when you went through menopause? Like fully done? 50. Oh, wow. So, so you were, you were really in that perimenopause stage as, and postpartum. I can't even imagine because I was I was a mess postpartum and I and working 14 15 hours a day crazy that's absolutely crazy I, I, I good for you but uh, and I had a baby a toddler and a 15 year old oh my god can you imagine can uh, anyone listening ever um, I just can't even, <laughs> I, I can't I can't even verbalize <laughs> I yeah I, I live to tell the tale yeah you do what, what would you tell yourself? back then as you went on in your 40s your kids got a little bit older is there is there advice that you would say to yourself now that you wish you knew then or something you would have told yourself well just have confidence in the path of things you know that i fretted a lot i think about oh boy is everything going to be okay i am a person of faith Faith in life, faith in the universe's wisdom. I think I just put my head down and tended my garden. You know, sometimes you plant things that aren't going to mature for many years. It's like people who plant trees, you know, who, and there's no guarantee that you are going to see that tree in full maturity. You may not see it as a 120 foot grand thing, but you will see most of its maturity. And um, that is, I mean, right now at, I'm, I just turned 68 and I feel like I'm really in the harvest time, all the tending of my, my garden and my woods I see it coming to fruition. My children are grown and they're lovely human beings. They're choosing wonderful mates. And my oldest son is married and my daughter-in-law, his wife, came to me and she said, you know, I just want to thank you. She said, I am so grateful that a feminist raised my husband. Oh, that's so great. And now that... <laughs> is the harvest. Yes. You know what I absolutely. mean? Absolutely. And uh, I thought, well, I didn't label myself as a feminist, but pretty much everything I did was uh, under the tenets of fem- feminism. And 
uh, that just made me so happy. Um, so I just think, you know, you, it, it's like where we are now. It's such a difficult time, but I think that there's going to be such a harvest from this. The old white men are at the end of their tenure. They may be elder, but they're not wise. And uh, they got nothing left. And they've got to give it up to the future picture of the U.S., which is of many colors and uh, capacities and I mean, the future, it has to be modern. It has to be, it, we have to think about everybody else, not just scraping off, you know, the foam, the goodness at the top for ourselves. And uh, I see that happening. I think, the, hey, it's the dawning of the age of, the, of Aquarius. <laughs> we, it's, I mean, it literally is. It's, it's, the, it's the promised golden age. So our kids are struggling a little bit now, but I think we just have to tell them. It's like, listen, this is, it's going to, it's hard now, but it's going to be better. I think hearing you, um, I think a lot of times, and I'll say this to women with younger kids, you know, um, you know, where they constantly make themselves feel guilty about things. I, I always joke and I was like, listen, your kid before nine years old is not going to remember anything that you did. So whatever you're doing, stop feeling guilty because they don't, they're not going to remember it. Whereas like I spent, I stayed at home with my kids when they were little and they have no recollection of it. They'll like make comments when I was working too hard. I spent five years going to stupid mommy and me classes that I didn't like talking to women that I had nothing in common with and spending all day long with toddlers. They don't remember anything. <laughs> and then they'll, they'll just make a reference to like, oh, mommy, were you there then? I'm like, yeah, I was the one taking the picture. That's, <laughs> that's why you don't see me. Um, but I think it's I think it's nice to hear that hopefully... Uh, down the line, there is a payoff um, when you're, and I, and by the way, I, just at my kid's age, I'm actually starting to see when they go out into the world and they do things and people come back to me and say, oh, your, your daughter is so polite and she was so sweet. And, I, and I'm like, really? Oh, that's good. She's not doing that at home, but I'm glad she's doing it there, which means I'm doing something right. So I think you get those rewards later. And obviously, um, you've seen that yourself. So so that's wonderful. What about marriage? Is there a piece of advice that you would give if you had one piece of advice about marriage? <laughs> 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 two, two homes? Well, yes. As you know, my, my husband and I just spent the last, except for one year, we, uh, we uh, have lived apart because his, he got a job down in New Orleans. He was running NCIS down there. And I I stayed back for the first couple of years because we never know if these things are going to last, you know, these shows. And uh, then it was like, oh, that's a going thing. I, so I moved down there. And as soon as I'd renovated a very fabulous house down there, I've got a job back here and moved back. And so now he's back. And uh, it's like, hey, uh, don't you need to go someplace? <laughs> <laughs> like work or another state. By the way, there are a lot of women feeling that way about their husbands who are working at home right now. <laughs> I think that Yeah, it's like get out of my house. Uh <laughs> you know, I just think as in all things, and I don't mean this as a doer sort of negative thing, but life is sort of an endurance race, isn't it? It's, it's the marathon. And, uh, I know when we talked earlier, you said you'd done a show about divorce and that 
you you offered up that if you're in a long-term relationship and you haven't seriously considered divorce, you're a liar. <laughs> it's true. You are a ball-faced liar. You know, I have to say, I did with my oldest son. I divorced his father, and uh, I always felt bad about that for him. It was an alcoholic home, and uh, I needed to get him away from that, I felt. And I know one of my younger children has said, because his dad and I have endured and stayed together when things were hard too. But in the last couple of years, he offered up, he said, I'm so glad you and dad never divorced. He said, that would just have killed me. And I thought, well, there you have it. You know, so it's like, why even get in an argument? I mean, we're going to have differences, you know, as in all things, you need to get along. We practice these things within family groups. So we don't, go out and, you know, be assholes out in the world so much. So it's like practice, you know, make your best practices at home. Be forgiving, be thoughtful, be thankful. Don't be so critical, all of that, because then your children learn it. And honestly, it makes it easier on yourself. Uh, I mean, obviously, there are some things that are insurmountable and it's, important to move on if it's untenable. You know, I think there are women who want to leave a marriage and are afraid to do it for the children. But obviously, in your situation, that was a necessity. Um, and, and you did the right thing. And I think that there are other marriages where you're just going to have shit. I hate to say it, but like, you know, you're going to have ups and downs. And all that, you know, I've been married 17 years. Um, and, and you have bumps in the road, if you can work them out, and you're able to do that. And they're not things that are as large as uh, having an alcoholic in the home is, is not, a, that's something you can't really work through. But I think that, you know, you, you have to, you have to try to stick it out. And, and, and not necessarily, I, it's wonderful that your son said that to you. But you know, I also think you just have to work it out for, for you and for the two of you, first and foremost, because you know, then your your children will see an example of working on something that isn't perfect. Yes. Well, I think, you know, when you're, the kids are little, obviously there's only, I mean, you can't say, I'm sorry, we have to go because daddy's an alcoholic and I'm worried about your whatever. I didn't have tools then. Both of my parents were alcoholics and, uh, you know, uh, they both got sober later in life which I was grateful for. But also, you know, I found Al-Anon later in life because my father said after he got sober, he was like, you know, you really should go to Al-Anon because, you know, you grew up with two drunks and, you know, there's, (laughs) you got stuff that probably would be helped by uh, hearing what other people say about that. And he was very wise in that. By the way, I've I've been to Al-Anon. I mean, next time you come back to New York, there's this wonderful women's group in the East Village um, that um, I, I, my, I didn't grow up with alcoholics, but my mother did. And she's probably going to kill me for saying this publicly, but I have done a lot of work myself on the way that she raised me based on the way that she was raised in a home of an alcoholic. And actually on Thursday, I'm interviewing this woman. I don't know if you've ever read this book. We could talk about this after the podcast, but it's called um, Adult Children of Emotionally Immature Parents. And, <laughs> I and, haven't, but, oh no, but it's yeah. fast. It is so it's great. It will. I, yeah. I'm going to text it to you later. 
it, it it speaks to everybody. I mean, it doesn't matter if your parent was an alcoholic. It, it, it talks about their generation and why they are the way they are, why their parents were the way they are, but how it affects us as people now. And it's so fascinating. I'm so excited. So she's coming on the show next week, but that's just a side note. So I, I went to an Al-Anon meeting because after reading this book, somebody had suggested, and I was like, well, I don't, I mean, why would I go to an Al-Anon meeting? And I walked into this meeting and I was like, oh, my God, these are my people. Like, I, I really understand these people. <laughs> it's pretty amazing. So it doesn't have to necessarily be an immediate thing that, you know, affected you. No, alcoholism is the gift that keeps on giving to every generation. <laughs> and, you know, sometimes, I mean, people who grew up with uh, parents who were ragers, you know. Or even controlling, even controlling parents or, you know, the, the, that's what this book talks about. It could just be parents who had expectations that were beyond for their children. 12-step programs are really great. Yeah. They're great. Actually, a lot of celebrities in that program that I went to. We don't name them. No, no, no. I'm not naming them. <laughs> I will never do that. <laughs> That's the beauty of anonymous. Yes. No, no, no. I would never do that. Um, I have to ask you, in finishing up, I have to ask you this question that I read about, and I don't know if this is true. It could be fake news. Is it true that you were supposed to play Glenn Close's part in Fatal Attraction? <laughs> no. And, really? <laughs> so that is funny. So I read no. that you were supposed to, to play the part and you didn't because you were doing Designing Women. No. <laughs> no. That never, I that never happened. I'm super flattered by that fake news, but uh, no. <laughs> No, that never came to me. Uh, the, well, I, I'm not sure I could see you boiling a bunny, but maybe. Mm. <laughs> oh, right. No, I no, I couldn't boil a bunny. Well, Andy, I, I don't want to take more of your time. You are so generous to do the show for us, and I think you're going to speak to so many women. This is going to be extraordinarily helpful, and if they are not already in love with you, they're going to fall in love with you after this, so... Um, thank you for, for being here and for doing this with me. Thank you. Thank you. What fun to do this since we <laughs> met on a, a train and a floating island <laughs> and uh, uh, escaped a country that was on fire together. <laughs> <This Exactly>. was, <laughs> you never was a, know a in pleasure. life. You never know. <laughs> it, again, the harvest. You right. never know. Right. Okay. Well, thank you again. And I, I hope, I hope to see you sometime soon. In the uh, yeah, we might, I know I haven't been to New York since last January. Now yeah. I'm like the idea that the whole theater district is just like, you know, caught Dad. in Amber and nothing, you know, that anyway, we got a vaccine coming soon right. and theater and everything else. We'll, and then we'll go we'll to theater back. together. We're building back better. Yes. <laughs> We're building back better. We will have a date to go to a Broadway show, the two of us, when this all ends. Yes. Okay. Yes. Maybe I'll be in it. That's yes. what I'd really love. All right, darling. All right. Thank you again. Thanks so much. Okay. Bye. Bye. Thank you so much for listening. Remember to give yourself permission and know that you are not alone. Don't forget to subscribe so you don't miss any episodes. Reviews are always appreciated. And you can reach me by email at it's not a crisis at Gmail, Instagram, it's not a crisis podcast, and please join our Facebook group as well. Until next time, just remember, it's not a crisis. <laughs>